some people don't want to think about the fact that work could be meaningful. It's better just to assume it's a bitter pill that we all have to deal with. You just get it out of the way. And then on the weekend, you do something you enjoy. I mean, that's a, a mindset that a lot of people are pretty comfortable in. Well, and a lot of people in their work, they pride themselves in hating their work hating the boss, hating the company. I mean, that's what you talk about when you go to the bar on Friday night and hang out with your buddies. I mean, what are you going to talk about? Gee, you're going to be the oddball that says, ooh, I love my work. I did something really meaningful. We helped a lot of people this week. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we expound on Zig Ziglar's be, do, and have philosophy, meaning you have to be the right kind of person, then do the right things before you can expect to have what really matters in life. And we want you to have what matters. Also, check out my podcast, What Drives You, where we talk with people who have reached impressive achievements to ask what drove them, good and bad. And we dig into the very motives that drive us all with the goal of clarifying just what is driving you. Then in my True Life podcast, we want to get you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three of my shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to The Ziggler Show, I invite you to visit ziggler.com. Connect with Tom Ziggler and the Ziggler family about upcoming events and how they can come alongside you and help you inspire your true performance. What began as a discussion on whether our work must really be so important ultimately came to our need to know ourselves and what really fulfills us individually. And while, yes, of course, meaningful work is profound to having you know, ultimate joy in our lives, it's also not meant to be the end all to our purpose and calling, but a tool. And I brought in Dan Miller celebrated career leader and author of the now classic tome on work 48 days of the work you love. And we had a conversation at a high, but a deep level regarding how we all perceive the value and importance of our work. And I ultimately, you know, I wanted to speak specifically to those who may be feeling stress and anxiety about finding that holy grail work opportunity, that thing that's supposed to be, you know, the culmination of their life's purpose and calling. It can be so daunting. And in this episode, I feel we did justice in taking some of the pressure off the work and putting the impetus on us having a bigger view of our overall life purpose beyond just work. Uh, you can find Dan uh, in his 48 Days podcast, wherever you get your podcast. And if you're new to The Ziggler Show, do yourself a favor, visit Ziggler.com for resources that will help you inspire your true performance. Here then are some show sponsors, and then we're going to talk about the importance of work with Dan Miller, who, hey, if you're not aware, that's my father. In looking at a high level view of work, should it be so important? Is it, is it so important? I thought who better to have on than the guy who etched that in my brain of a work you love, Dan Miller, author of 48 days of the work you love. Hey, thanks for doing this. Hey, absolutely. Love these conversations and never get tired of it, especially with somebody who grew up or I had the privilege of brainwashing him. Yeah, thanks for that. And I, and I do appreciate <laughs> that. I'm coming at it at the angle. So, you know, uh, Dr. Randy James, your doctor, my doctor, 
and co-host of my true life show. And sometimes we talk about, you know, have somebody come in, have a patient come in. Okay. Dealing with anxiety and issues in life and it's hurting their health in some manifestation. Right. And then we get to talk, you know, he gets to talking about their health and wellness and giving them counsel. And, you know, he said, some people go, well, gosh, now I'm just even more anxious about my health. He said, well, that's not helping anything, you know, okay, we got to deal with that, that the, he's causing anxiety. He's real sensitive to that. Am I causing you anxiety in, in us addressing your health? Cause that's going to be uh, we're going to, we're going to go two steps forward, two steps back. So with that work, you love meaningful work, work at your passions, all this that we of course espouse and like, but I do feel like there are some people out there who are their anxiety is so high on finding that thing, the calling, the purpose. And I almost want to give them a little permission to, okay, chill out a little bit. And I, I want to play with that because it's a tension. Obviously we don't want to say, right. Oh no, no, no. But I think, you know what I'm talking about? There are people out there who are right now they're, they're stressing negative. I mean, they have anxiety about, am I doing the right thing? Is this the best it could be? Should I be finding something I'm more passionate about? Give me your thoughts off the. All path. right. Well, let, let's. I'm, I'm, I'm going to dig in a little deeper mm -hmm. with that concept, because I just got a note from a, an audio message from a lady who said she started reading 48 Days to the Work You Love, and she read chapter into chapter three and four, and she didn't think she was going to be able to make it any further because reading it made her feel so bad about where she was. So we come wow. back to the old ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Some people don't want to think about the fact that work could be meaningful. It's better just to assume it's a bitter pill that we all have to deal with. You just get it out of the way. And then on the weekend, you do something you enjoy. I mean, that's a, a mindset that a lot of people are pretty comfortable in. I got a, a note this morning from a guy who said he was 16 years old. You'll appreciate this because I used you in my response to him. He's 16 years old. And he said he just read 48 Days to the work you love. He said he absolutely loved it. And at the same time, it terrifies him mm. because his dream is to be a professional soccer player. That's wow. all he can imagine himself really enjoying. But he just assumed that, well, that wasn't possible for a kid coming from where he's coming from and his home life and all that. So he just have to put that on the back burner. Now he's read 40 days and it's like, are you serious? Is this really possible? So the idea of finding meaning in our work just like with Randy, having people come in who are obese, they assume that's eh, American way. You know, my doctor, when I had my struggles a few years ago, my primary doctor said, hey, quit complaining, man. You're just getting old. Yeah. I wanted to punch his lights out. And a lot of people don't want to even think about the fact it could be better than it is. That's really seems to be the premise of what you're talking it, about. It is. And maybe it's not a work focus. It's a it's a better, it's a topic of bettering, you know, in the health and wellness standpoint, as I've gone through my own journey of bettering my health, bettering my diet, bettering my, my exercise, my sleep and doing that, there is the joke. It'll come up in the house and the kids will go, daddy, remember you back when you used to make potato candy or you used to make whatever, you know, high sugar was my, was my thing, thing that I don't do anymore. And it's almost referred to as, you remember the good old days? Oh my, you know, uh -huh. yeah. Back when, and I get that because 
back then it seemed easier. We were eating gluten and sugar and, and whatnot. And now today we're more, you could look at it as more restrictive, but Mm -hmm. then I also realized, I mean, I just, I'm 50 years old. I just did a duathlon this last weekend. I got beat by five guys, all who had about 20 years on me, 20 years younger. Uh And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful. I sleep well. I think, well, I'm grateful for the payoff and the benefits, but I get that you back to your ignorance is bliss. I mean, we were having fun back then eating our sugar and our gluten and whatever. That's right. Maybe we weren't suffering. Of course, my, my concern is, am I going to suffer later from it? Well, and a lot of people in their work, they pride themselves in hating their work hating the boss, hating the company. I mean, that's what you talk about when you go to the bar on Friday night and hang out with your buddies. I mean, what are you going to talk about? Gee, you're going to be the oddball that says, ooh, I love my work. I did something really meaningful. We helped a lot of people this week. Yeah, it's, it's pretty accepted. And the redneck mentality says, nah, you know, I hate my job. The boss is a jerk. You know, I snuck out to my car and took an hour nap today. Nobody missed me. That's kind of an accepted mentality about work, and it's totally counter to what you and I know. If you experience work that is really fulfilling and meaningful, boy, it's hard to be happy with anything else. Well, then it reminds me of your buddy Dave Ramsey and his live like nobody else so you can live like nobody else. To be debt-free, to not just spend frivolously is you have to be weird in a sense, culturally weird. Now I look at that and I have great compassion for people with health and wellness who don't go and eat the same things that their buddies do. They don't pick up the office donuts that are left in the kitchen. They don't do the church potluck or they bring their own things and, and whatnot. And that's frustrating. We all want to belong. We don't want to be the oddball generally, you know, I mean, they, obviously some True. people have a rebellious streak, but generally we want to fit in. We want to be comfortable. We want to, we want to trust. And we do a lot of talk of to be healthy and well, you're going to have to stick out. You're going to be the person who maybe goes and, uh, like I do, I put on my goofy, like recycling clothes. And at lunchtime I go off and I go ride. Now I'm grateful. I have a blue zone in essence of people who that's not too weird to, but you have to be differently. I haven't thought about that in regards to you're take, you're taking that same stance with work. You love, if you're going to have work you is really fulfilling you find purpose and passion and you're probably you're likely going to be an oddball you are indeed that's right because the general mentality even from people of faith they use the idea work is a curse of course it is you know it's we only did it because you know god's punishing us that's why we work right wow what a short incidentally you know we have to all we have to do is is go three more chapters in Genesis and God removed that curse, you know, and we have lots of reminders in the scripture that work is a blessing. You work as though under the Lord. I mean, there's all kinds of things there to let us know that work is a gift. Solomon talked about that work, work is a gift. Work that you love is a gift. Don't take it lightly. But anyway, yeah, there's still a lot of common mentality. Nah, you know, that's just my work. You know, that's not really who I am. But the funny thing is, what we do, we do become more of that. And if you're doing something just to create income that you really despise, you cannot possibly be doing your best work. There's no way. It just doesn't make sense. And I, I of course, am with you. Let's play with it. 
you know, with the, you know, even looking back to your dad, farm, yes. farmer Ray. Yes. And not, you know, of course not everybody was a farmer, but he was a farmer. The days were spent out there tilling the soil and generating a lot of the food that you guys had, you know, there's a lot of people back then who were building their own homes. And, and I was thinking about the pioneers, you know, I read little house in the prairie, not long ago to one of the kids. And we're talking about that and Ma and Pa headed out West. A lot of people did back in the 1850s and their work was just existing. It was survival. It was get up in the morning, hunt something, gather something, go get water from the Creek. Hope you don't get killed by an animal or another person stitch your clothes, wash your clothes. I mean, it was, that was, that was it work. And let's just assume everybody was doing that. That's just life was work. There wasn't anything to choose from. Then we hit the industrial revolution and we now work for a dollar bill where we go buy all that stuff. And now we have options, let's say to choose different work. And I have heard that argument too. Like you talking about people arguing from a faith-based standpoint, our work's just supposed to be sweat and toil. Other people also talking about, well, that's just a luxury to choose. You've had, and you've seen that you've you've seen people that you respect who have pushed back against the working at your passions thing. That's a luxury. You just work at something that's solid, that provides well. Uh, How do you play with that somewhat too? With the luxury, let's, let's say that the luxury argument. Well, if we go back to your grandpa, my dad, Farmer Ray, he pastored a little tiny church for which he received no salary. That was just ministry. So there's a clear separation there. But then you're left with, what do you do to be a responsible provider for a family with five kids? Well, what do you do when you're um, an Amish boy with a sixth grade education? You farm. You default to that. That's the most likely thing to do. You don't have to have a resume. You don't have to have marketable skills. You farm. You know, you can do that. That was my dad's approach to farming. I never heard him talk about how he chose that because he loved it so much. Not at all. He did it because it was a responsible thing to do. And he accepted the theological framework for that's what work is. You do what's responsible. So I didn't see that approach that there's a better way or even any desire to explore that. You just do what is responsible. Now, we see a lot of that today in people who simply have defaulted to that position. All right. Even people with college degrees, you get out. Well, you find a job. You know, you find somebody that's willing to give you a paycheck. You put your head down and you just go through, put in your 35 years, get a gold watch and retire. But interestingly enough, that model is broken. We're seeing that model doesn't work. We're seeing kids today see what happened to their mom and dad. Gee, mom and dad put in 20 years of faithful work, and then they showed up one morning and were told they were, had 30 minutes to clean out their desk and leave. Company didn't need them anymore. So kids today are saying, I'm not going to make myself vulnerable to that. I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm going to do something that I enjoy. Now, there's the repercussions of that where in the millennials, Gen Xers, and, the, and, and even in the baby boomers at this point, people are recognizing, and life is too short to just be pushing a pencil for all those years and then hope you have a few years of enjoyable retirement. Right. And I think it's a healthy unrest that we have. Huh. Now, there are dramatic implications of that. In April of this year, 649,000 people quit their jobs. 
their own choice. 649,000 people. That's amazing. Now, we know what that's doing to companies. There are signs everywhere, and companies are desperate. How can we get people to come to work? Well, so they're confronted with, how do you make work meaningful? How do you provide enough incentive for people to come to work when they know they, the, people, the people on the street aren't going to put up with just getting a, a paycheck and that's all? There has to be more than that. Well, can we go too far that way as well, though, when you talk about the millennials? <laughs> well, you know, I've seen it with my kids, with, uh, you know, my son, your grandson, Caleb, is out there. And I've got uh, Autumn and Eliza who are in their 20s now. And I, you know, I talked with Eliza not long ago. She's 21. And as she looks out there, and I think she felt... Uh, I don't know, burden's a bad word, but to some degree burdened by this, by understanding this and wanting to find what is my calling? What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? And I found myself pulling her back off of that to some degree of saying, honey, you don't, you haven't experienced enough life to figure that out, to, to find that one thing. You know, remember city slickers, right? Oh yeah. The one thing, I thought, honey, you haven't, one thing. Yeah, right now go out and just do some stuff and figure out what you like, what you don't like. You need some experience under your belt. And, and I have wondered though, are people maybe millennials, maybe older, but are there some who are tying themselves up a little bit too much in that? Is this job the Holy grail of my existence? That's going to save planet earth. Yeah. Well, there's a couple ways to approach this. Sometimes you know, when I have people who know they have something that's a hobby, let's say something that's a hobby, let's say an artist, and somebody really enjoys doing that, but their fear is that if they use that as their method of income generation, then they'd end up not enjoying it anymore as a hobby. So we can kind of go on that approach. There are times when I can see somebody doing something that they recognize really is kind of a hobby or something that really is just kind of a heart's desire. It may be, you know, working with disabled children or something where they're never going to make much money, but they're really drawn to doing that. And I think that's worthy work to do, even if you're an artist, use that example. But, you know, just to do something because you really enjoy it, you enjoy it, you know it's a contribution in some way. But... You can do that even if you have lofty financial goals, because it's really easy at this point to do things on the side that can increase your financial worth. You know Kent Julian, longtime mm -hmm. friend of ours. He's a speaker. He speaks in the university, college arena, loves doing that. It provides a great income. But he's the first one to tell you he's building his wealth because of the real estate investing that he's doing, not because of the job that he has, the work that, that he has. He's, of course, he's independent, but the work that he has, no, that's fine. He enjoys that, but it's not going to be something that's going to make him wealthy. But his investments, aside from that, are. My point being, so somebody can do work that they enjoy and fully enjoy and they're better off doing that than to try to make themselves survive and tolerate the work, the daily work, Monday through Friday, that they really don't enjoy just because they're trying to be responsible and get a paycheck. That's where we get the conflict. So it's not unrealistic to expect that. 
in work. And if you're talking with Eliza or with Caleb, with whom I've had a lot of delightful conversations here, what we look for in work is more than just a paycheck. You are listening to The Ziggler Show and this episode with Dan Miller on the importance of our work. Next, Dan addresses the labor shortage we're in and how companies are offering big financial incentives that aren't addressing the reason people are leaving them in the first place. Here are some show sponsors and we'll get right back to it. This really brings up an issue that companies are dealing with right now. Now, some of the things that are going on right now in companies' attempts to get people to come to work, they think it's the paycheck. You know, we hear all this stuff Mm -hmm. about $15 an hour, you know, minimum wage, you know, Target has gone to that, Amazon has gone to that, so on and so forth. And now we're seeing things right here where I live in Florida. There's a McDonald's that is offering a $1,000 sign-on bonus. Now, you have to stay for three months, so it's given to you over the course of three months. But a $1,000 sign-on bonus just to get people to come to work there. There's Last week, there was a restaurant in Honolulu, Hawaii, that advertised for servers at $45 an hour, and they had zero applicants. Now, really? we can go on and on and on wow. with what people are trying to do. But the the, the thing is... We had a Ford's garage that opened up here just a couple of weeks ago here in Sarasota. At Ford's garage, I don't know if you've ever been to one. Yeah, yeah, I did. Last time we were in Florida, Terry and I went to the one in Orlando. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I took pictures of the, you know, the gas, uh, like the gas nozzle faucets or something like that. Door yeah. handles or gas. No- okay. Yeah, or gas. Okay. Pump nozzles. Yeah. yeah. And you, in the restroom, you wash your hands inside of a, a tire. And right, the right, right. The yeah. basin. I think I, have a, I think I have a picture of it. And the napkins are grease rags with the <laughs> radiator hose clamp around them. Oh, so anyway, great. so it's a really cool place. It's a fun place to be. But they were trying to get service. They were advertising $20 an hour and a $2,000 sign-on bonus just in a restaurant like that. Wow. What they miss is it's not just money. You're never going to be able to pay somebody enough if it's money alone that has them there. If it's money alone that has them there, there's a high propensity for burnout, turnover, they're gonna go. Daniel Pink, a few years ago, in his book, Drive, talked about what is it that we have to have to get people to participate, to show up? Three things, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. There have to be those components. It's not connected now, there's certainly relevance to money. You know, you can't pay somebody $5 an hour at this point and tell them they're going to save the world by working there. But we have to address those things. And those are things for anybody looking in from the outside, if it's your daughter, Eliza, or anybody else. Look for something where you have autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And by autonomy, that doesn't mean you don't have a boss. It is by you're given some responsibility for what you do, some ability to make decisions on your own. And mastery, the ability to to work up and, and really become good at something, become better at what you're doing. And in purpose, you, know, you have to believe there's a reason for this company, the work that I'm doing, that goes beyond just myself, goes beyond just getting a paycheck on Friday. And with those, it changes totally our approach to what work is all about. Well, obviously, you can have different 
Like I, I'm, I'm looking out the window here and the, the lot, lot of land next to me, they're building four little houses on. So right. I'm looking at these guys and, you know, thinking about the old bricklayer analogy that I think I yeah. told on a show. I think I read that analogy on a show, not too a Ziegler show, not too long ago, three guys making a wall, laying bricks. One guy says I'm laying bricks. The other guy says I'm making a wall. The other guy says I'm making a cathedral. Right. So these guys, you know, we could tell them all to do that. Now I've had experience and enough things though, to realize that, okay, I get the concept. I, I don't feel I can always have a better attitude towards what I'm doing, but there are some things, I mean, if you put me over there, I don't care about building houses. I just, I just don't care. I don't find some grand purpose in that. I, I always remember real estate. I've had so many friends in real estate and some who did it. Eh, it was just a good job. And some who felt, no, I'm helping people. They're kind of like George Bailey and it's a wonderful life. I'm, I'm helping people find a home. Right. I mean, a great purpose. Right. And I guess I want to hit that. You know, we, I don't know that everybody can, can, can expect themselves to have that same feeling towards anything that there is a certain calling for you in a specific job where you should be able to give yourself permission to go, look, man, I'm glad you like, like enjoy doing that. I had a guy tell me one time, Kevin, you spend all day in front of a computer. I'd just rather die. I, <laughs> you know, <laughs> So be it. I could write all day and he's out here doing work that I, I just no way I would do. So there's got to be, you know, dip, we can change our paradigm, but there are different strokes for different folks. We do need to find that fit of that thing that we find purpose in. There is, but I get challenged often in that, well, if everybody enjoyed their work, Dan, you know, then we wouldn't have people that pick up the garbage and, you know, clean the road, blah, blah, blah. Yes, we would. See, that's the thing. I mean, I can go to a, a hockey game and during a break, some dude comes out there and wipes off the blood and spit off the plexiglass behind the goal. You know, I'm thinking, what could be more gross than that? And it's somebody that absolutely thinks they won the lottery by having that opportunity to be that engaged in what they're doing. This morning, my yard guys were here. They come in, they unload their, you know, mowers and trimmers and all that. Man, I go out and talk to them. I compliment them. These guys make our place look amazing. They love what they do. They know they're doing something that really, really pleases me. I don't want to do what they do, but I, I think we sometimes underestimate how people can enjoy things that we would not enjoy. We look at things we would not enjoy and think, how would someone, I mean, it's like me looking at a car, you know, geez, why would anybody buy that car? Well, to them, it fits them. They may love the color, even if I think it's ugly. There's so many opportunities. I can't think of anything that somebody would not enjoy doing. And we see that borne out in people having jobs. If it's the mailman, I talked to our mailman. So this will get you. I talked to our mailman just um, on, it was on Friday. I went out because I had some packages and I just run out and catch him. He takes packages that are too big to go in the mailbox. Really cool guy. And anyway, he had his earbuds in and I could hear he was playing something. I said, hey, what do you listen to when you're driving your mail truck? Podcast, man. All the time. Podcast. I said, really? I said, what do you listen to? Ah, business, you know, finance, just sports, music. I said, what do you listen to right now? I'm listening to Dave Ramsey. 
Huh. I, are you kidding me? I ran back in the house, got a copy of my book, gave it to him. And of course, right on the top, you know, forward by Dave Ramsey. He's like, no way. That's You're awesome. that Dan Meller. <laughs> That's yeah. And I told him, I told him to listen to your podcast. Oh, I said, you. man, we live in this podcasting space, but here's a guy. He's really congenial, really great. And he brings our mail every day. Well, what it brings up to me, I mean, we're talking about purpose and, and, and as you were talking, I was thinking about contribution. So do I feel a contribution in what I'm doing? We did a show recently. This is episode 907. I actually, I think it might've been, gosh, I don't know, 90, it's one, one of the episodes right around here on, do you find your work to be the product or service to be honorable, to be worthy? Cause we can have something that's fun. Okay. I can be working, uh, you know, we got a lot of kids around here and they're working the ski slopes and they're having fun. Well, that's awesome. Now, do they find that it's honorable and worthy to help rich people ski? Maybe not. And so I was really trying to hit to that, the product or service. So when you're going back to, you know, these restaurants like Ford's or whatever, and that's, that's difficult unless you find somebody, you know, to, you know, to find somebody and try to help them find that they are making a significant contribution at a, let's say an expensive restaurant to have people come in and have a, a good time. I mean, that connection, that, that's going to be difficult for a lot of places to hit. That's one that's beyond making it fun, having a foos table and skateboards in the office that can they really draw people, like you said, somebody who enjoys wiping the spittle off of the screen at the hockey place. That's a, that's, that's a hard, that's a hard road to hoe, I think. It is. And employers have their work cut out for them right now. We're going through I talked about the number of people who had resigned their positions just in April. We had that major number. Well, we have 9.3 million jobs available in America right now. 9.3 million jobs open. And companies are desperate for people to come in. We're going through what the economists are calling the great resignation. And studies are showing that up to 46% of people right now say they were going to quit their jobs this year if they can figure out how to do it. So we had 649,000 that quit their jobs in April voluntarily. Here we are in July and 46% of people who are working say they're going to try to quit the job they have before the end of the year. We're going to, we're seeing massive turmoil here, but here's, here's another component of this. What we've gone through right now, going through the pandemic, what we've just experienced the last 18 months, whatever has caused Changes. I was going to say damage, but I'm not going to use that word. It's caused changes to the workplace. We're never going to go back to normal, the way things were. And in many ways, people have gone through a grief process in this, in the same way that if you, you know, had a death or divorce or something unexpected, a health issue or whatever, people go through a grief process. There are six stages to it. And this is really important in light of what you're, you're talking about here. The first stage is denial. Like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. You know, surely this will only be a couple of weeks. We'll be back to normal. Denial. The second stage is anger. It's like, are you serious? You know, I can't leave the house. I got to wear a mask. I can't go back to work. Right. Anger. The third stage is bargaining. Okay. You know, so let me understand this. You know, if I do this, then I can kind of come back. I can work from home a little bit, whatever. Bargaining. The fourth stage is depression. And people, again, with, the, with grief, we're talking about normal grief response. Right. They get to that point, depression. 
the next stage is acceptance, all right? If this is the way it's gonna be, then what can I do to kind of move forward? The sixth stage of grief is finding meaning, all right? This happened, I didn't expect it, I didn't welcome it, but I need to find meaning. And it brings people, brings us back to where people are right now who are looking for work. Those 649,000 people, they're not looking to stay home. I mean, I know we've spoiled them with stimulus checks and all that garbage, but they wanna get engaged, but they're looking for meaning. And if we can't give them that autonomy, purpose, and mastery, we can't give them meaning, they're going to say, nah, you know, you, you can't pay me enough to entice me to come in. So as hard as it is for a lot of businesses, we have to be able to offer that to people. Now, I'm fortunate in what I'm doing, 48 days, it's exciting to help people see the lights come on, to help people put legs in a dream they've had for a long time. Because of that, we have people standing in line who would love to be part of what we're doing. We have people who volunteer, who do all kinds of things in our organization with no pay, but just because they feel like they're doing, they're, they're doing something important. They're part of a cause that's bigger than themselves. I think anybody can do that. Yeah. I think anybody in, with a, a company with work that's being offered, I think they can do that, but it's a different mindset for the people offering the job. You offering the job are not used to many times trying to figure that out. If I'm going to have this 18 year old come in and stand on his feet for eight hours a day, how can I give him a sense that there really is meaning to what he's doing? If you can figure that out, you can rock and roll. I mean, look at, look at Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A. And, you know, you go to Burger King, the, one of the McDonald's here, there's a lady, I know the lady here, she has three franchises, three, lo- three, I mean, three locations for McDonald's. She keeps one of them closed right now because she's shifting the workers to the other two simply to have enough workers to open the door. Wow. That's not a problem at Chick-fil-A. You go in there. It's a totally different, instead of, you know, that person who hands you your burger, you say thank you, and they say, hey, no problem, dude. You're never going to hear that at Chick-fil-A. It's, it's my pleasure. They know being there is a cultural, environmental, educational opportunity, and they see it as such. They don't have any problem getting applicants. They're lined up. That's the difference Yeah, what companies are going to have to do to compete in this kind of workplace. Okay, so let me let me sidestep then a little bit. Is there also a place where we in understanding ourselves that we put too much emphasis could we put too much emphasis on work if it's the end all. If I take anybody, but you know one of the a kid and try to Find, help them find a place where the, where their work is the end all to everything in their life. Because we know so many people, <laughs> I, I know a lot of folks who, well, no, stop there. You're laughing. Go. <laughs> I, I would never propose that for somebody that they try to find work that is the end all that is identifies them totally. And is the only thing they No, It's simply a tool okay. for a successful thank, life. Thank you. That's what I was fishing for right there because okay. to have something 
that you enjoy, what else does it support? Cause I'm thinking as an employer now, I'm not, and I'm not thinking about this show to it from an employer standpoint, I'm trying to speak to everybody out there who's you know looking for work, but from an employer standpoint, I'm thinking, man, if I own, own a restaurant, my best, and I'm going to be hiring, you know, younger people by far and large and whatnot, my best bet maybe, I mean, make it a good environment, help them, you know, know that the company may have a higher purpose like Chick-fil-A or something like that. But I also would do well, I would think to know who they are and what they care about. And so if I find this guy named Kevin back in the day and go, Oh, he's a, he's an aspiring elite cyclist there. I can, I can, I can, uh, I, I can catch him there. And get to know him there and say, man, what are your goals there? What are you doing next week? So you're trying to earn money to go do that. There I can join him in giving and joining his purpose, let's say, as opposed to say, no, the work right here in this restaurant, that's the end all. Because we, you know, we find that we find employers who are trying to do the rah, rah, re, here's our mission statement and trying to get everybody to believe in the business as much as they are. And it, to me, negates their interest in what that person cares about. Oh, Man, we, we need to bottle what you just said there. You're totally, totally right. It requires more engagement with the people, know what their lives are about. And yes, work is simply one tool for successful life. I mean, for people to really feel like they have a life worth living, it involves way more than work. Your relationships, your spiritual vitality, your health. You know, what you're doing for personal development and what you're doing financially, those are all things that ought to be areas where you're seeking excellence. So work doesn't stand alone. Either you figure that out or not. No, there are people who have jobs, who have work that isn't very fulfilling, but they have a pretty great life because of how they're making deposits of success in those other areas. I'm just saying, you know, I, I want to see people have success in all those areas, not just one, but to think that we can have it in some of the other areas and not in work. It, I mean, there's nothing that we spend more time doing than that. So you can make little compromises in some of the other areas, but when we spend 40 hours, it better be something that's meaningful and purposeful, or it's a big draw. It's a hemorrhage in that person's chances for feeling successful in their life. It feels like what we're coming to is the, as much as we just said a second ago, the necessity or the opportunity for an employer to be engaged in the people working for him so he can join them in what they really are interested in outside of the work as well is from an individual standpoint. It's just calling us to know what are we about? What do we care about? And how does the work fit into that as opposed to holding the work up there and expecting it to fulfill everything. It, may, it brings me back to talking about Dr. Randy James and when I was working with him in this functional medicine practice and I started to key in on people who would say, yeah, I'm hoping that this will work for me. And I thought, ooh, red flag. Because right off the bat, and I actually addressed some people with that. I said, you know what, if that's your perspective, it's not. I mean, with all due respect, the only thing that's gonna work for you is you. We can help guide you but if you're looking to see, hey, if this is going to, you know, if this is going to fulfill everything, 
If and you, you can fix me. Exactly. Exactly. So same thing with our work to say, okay, what, what's the work that's going to totally fulfill me to take some of the pressure off that, to where you're saying, look, if you're going to spend that much time there, you're darn well going to be best bet to find something that you do find as much value, purpose, joy, and everything in. But if that's it, I think you're also in significant danger. What does that work support? I know Howard Partridge, which is the Ziegler, you know, business guru, business coach is big on saying that your business is there to support you. You don't live to support your, but kind of back to the Michael Gerber e-myth. You don't, you're not living just to be a slave to your own business. It's there to support you. But then it requires us to know what are we beyond our work? Maybe that's the bigger problem. It is. Yeah. It is. That's, that's a great challenge. And that covers all aspects of work. If you're working at entry level job getting paid by the hour, these concepts are applicable there and important there. If you have your own business where you're doing $10 million a year, these are still issues. Does the work control you? Does it drain you or does it energize you, give you a sense of purpose? But it also, what it, it does, it sets a stage right now for all of us, including employers, need to recognize this. And when you talked about, you know, gee, you're just here to get a paycheck. But well, if, you, if we go back 100 years and you had a little grocery store in your hometown and you needed to hire a couple kids to come in there, you probably knew their families. You may see them at church yeah. on Sunday in the local restaurant. When you walked in the hardware store, you'd see their siblings, their mom and dad and all that. That's a very different kind of context for having somebody work for you than rather than just seeing, I need somebody to stand in this spot, put this bolt on this nut and do that, you know, a thousand times a day. And if they don't do it, I'll get somebody else to stand there. That's a very different approach. So the industrial revolution really dehumanized work in many ways where these we brought these guys in off of farms who used to being out there seeing a sunset and the rainbows and interacting you know with on the land and now we brought them into a factory but that was a change in work model but the factory owners said we're going to give you five bucks a day that was big money back then when 1913 henry ford said we're going to give you five bucks a day people came there in droves just because of the money but what have we seen in that kind of workplace mentality yeah seeing people that undermine what the company's trying to do, you know, and they beg for more, even if they don't produce more, they just want the company to give them more. And if the company makes money, they think, you know, they ought to get it instead of the owners. I mean, all kinds of negative dynamics in that. Kind of, so we're going back in some ways to a healthier look at what work is all about, both from the worker and the employer's standpoint. Do you see, or I've seen, and I'm sure you have, there is a place with work. So the work that you do with 48 days, you know, empire there and your buddy, Dave Ramsey too. I mean, you, you, you guys both as, as buddies who have done life together a lot, see, let's use the word altruism, yes. which is where we find the most purpose being of value to other people, serving other people. You find that in your work directly. So you get to do that right. Well, I think you should get, you get to that because there are other people. And the first one I think of is, is our buddy, Dave Munson. So Dave owns Saddleback Leather Company. I talk about him a lot in this reference point because it just really hit me uh, powerfully as I was looking at my own work and what it meant to me in that. Now he enjoys it. He loves design. He loves cool products. He likes quality. So he has a lot of fun. Does he feel altruistic? in selling a 
$600 leather bag to some guy in a Ferrari? Probably not. But I also know, and if you find him on Facebook, you'll see one of his primary efforts is in Africa. He and his wife, I I don't know if it's schools that they run, housing, but they use a huge amount of their time and money that's created by this company to go over there. And they take people, they take employees. It's become a big part of the business and they find it over there. So when he sits down down at his desk in the morning, you sit down and you're writing your next book. You're writing to your 48 days, folks. You're getting testimonials on changing your lives. He's sitting down, he's designing a new bag that he's hoping to sell at the for 600 bucks to some guy in a Ferrari, but he knows what that's supporting. Well, yes, but I would, I would venture to say Dave also enjoys his work way beyond just creating the funds so he can go do those humanitarian things. I saw a post from Dave this morning. I think he was in Africa with one of his sons and they were up on top of a mountain. They were going to do product photos, Mm. which he's infamous for. His, his photos come you know, all around the world. People showing, gee, they've got that $600 bag somewhere. I think that's worthy work to do. I think the work that he does, it's artistic. It's beautiful. I think it inspires people just having something so beautiful. I mean, his tagline is they'll fight over it when you're dead. I mean, that's a pretty cool tagline. You're doing something that people really enjoy. I think there's value in that. I mean, I think if, if somebody is doing something like that, that's artistic, it I'm doesn't holding, have to I be. I thought I, for the video, for the video folks, I'm holding, holding mine up. <laughs> this is, this is an old, literally original one that they call the tank. Now it weighs, it's like a workout, but yeah. Well, it, it, it's a piece of art. It is. It is. Because you've had it so long and it's still in perfect condition. You know, it shows the travels that you've had oh, perhaps. Oh, they say the worst, the worst it'll ever look is the day you buy it. It just gets better as it gets beat up. Yeah. See, I I get, man, that gives me goosebumps. Just thinking, I love that. Yeah. I think that's an honorable kind of business to have. So, but it's not something that that I would be drawn to, but I love the fact that Dave is so passionate about it. Okay. So he's found his contribution because same thing. I, I, I would not enjoy that. Well, let's, let's take another one. Scott Stearman. So one of my closest friends, Scott Stearman, and folks, you can go find him at Scott Stearman, S-T-E-A-R, Stearman.com. So he is a renowned sculptor. So you go around to a lot of universities, military compounds around the U.S., and you'll find his life-size bronze sculptures. And those of you watching the video, uh, my dad just went back and grabbed the 48 Days Eagle. And that is an exact computer-generated replica of the real bronze eagle that scott did for us right so there you go scott Stearman. so there it is and now he now scott lived here in the same town that i did for a long time we got to know them and became part of family together and we used to joke him and people joke with him and people would but hey scott you get to go play with plato all day you know that's what you get to do oh my goodness the stuff that he does for his work of you know when he does portraits and he has to fly oh you mentioned chick-fil-a he flew out to take his own photos of Truett Cathy with measurements that he had to hold a board up next to him and the amount of work that he had to do and detail he had to do to do a bust, uh, uh, sculpture of, of Truett Cathy and the detail of work that he does. He spends so much time doing math and equations and, uh, flying to 
sites were and having to deal with how is this going to be installed and whatnot. And I looked at it and I thought, Oh my, this is, I would, I would, I would rather clean spittle off of a hockey rink wow. uh, afterwards. I mean, it is so far it is so, you know, people don't understand that, but God love him for enjoying doing that. See, and Scott sat down with, with me before he did that Eagle. It wasn't just, Hey, I'm, I, you know, I'm a sculptor. I'll do you an Eagle. No, it was like, what do you want this to convey, Dan? Yeah. You know, what's the essence of the message? He is a master at leaning in to really get the story behind a piece of sculpture that he's going to do. Again, a great example of somebody who has found meaning in what they do. And he's a master at conveying the meaning, the significance of something that we may see as an inanimate object. No, there's a story behind every single one of them. Go to the... Because I feel like we keep coming to contribution and, and it feels hard to negate that, that at some point in our work, that place where we're going to spend a majority of our time of our life, that we need to be able to connect with some kind of a contribution and what it is ultimately doing that product or service, how it is serving people, that that it feels like that's of utmost importance. If you really want to find the peak in, in what you're doing now. There are some, though, that do just have fun and enjoy that. And I, I see people doing that, but they generally, I find that they do have, they're still looking for that contribution and they're going to need to find it outside of that. Is that a fair balance there to? Outside of that? Yeah, outside of their work. They're still going to want to find that contribution, that core. But I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people overlook. I mean, I've had conversations with your son who he you know, moved here to Florida, and he's a transport at Sarasota Memorial Hospital. Sarasota Memorial Hospital is a, the most desirable employer in these parts. Nurses work for three or four years other places trying to get on the list to get on there. Anyway, he's on there as a transporter, but that means he pushes people around in wheelchairs or on little wheeled beds. Is there significance in that? My goodness, the conversations he's having with those people that are initiating patients to write letters to the hospital about the service that this transporter kid provided to them. I've had conversations with him about, you don't know who you're pushing, the next person you're going to be pushing. You serve in the hospital people that are homeless and people that are billionaires. What if the guy you're pushing down the road right now, taking him out to his car, you treat him with such excellence that he says, you know, I'm looking for a young man. I need somebody to drive my Rolls Royce to take me around places. Not a whole lot, but I get out now and then. You, I got a place in my house you can live and I'll pay you $2,000 a week. We had a conversation. And I mean, it really changed his perspective on what he's doing. Not just to think that it's a stepping stone to the next, but just see, you don't know who that person is. In the hospital, everybody's the same. They don't come in in three-piece suits. Everybody's got on a white gown. Boom, period. It's an equalizer. But see in that person something that somebody else may not see when they're just treating them as the next patient. I love yeah. helping people get that kind of perspective in the work they're doing. And I think a lot of people overlook the opportunity for seeing meaning in work that they're doing when it's already there. Well, in that, I'm with you. Th to talking about nurses, you know, speaking of Caleb and all the medical issues that he went through early in his life, and I was oft, I was always so aware of the nurse who thought it was their duty to take care of the blood, take care of the urine, take care of the medicine, take care of whatever, as opposed to the one who realized, yeah, yeah of course that is, 
but their duty is to help us as the patient, as the mom and mom and dad of the patient, be at peace, find yeah. a, a step off of the anxiety and the fear or the terror, you know, that we have. And I see that with yeah Caleb as a transporter there, but where are we in our jobs? I, I think, yeah, we do get narrow minded in maybe I'm uh, maybe even me speaking that in looking at the product or service in and of itself. That's one piece of it. What's the relationship opportunity that we have with the people that we're connected to, whether that's the end customer or whether that's our coworkers, employees or whatnot. Absolutely. Yeah. And so if we go through things, if it's mowing yards or cleaning a pool or delivering the mail or whatever, whatever it happens to be, I think there are opportunities for meaning and purpose. Some of the things that we've laid out here, even in those jobs that we may see as just kind of entry level jobs and well, there's no real reward except the money. Yeah. If you're looking for it, I mean, I've done a lot of different things in the course of my work life. It wasn't just always, you know, writing books and coaching people. I did a lot of different things, you know, sold used cars. Well, I, when I was in, when I was, here's, here's an example, perhaps, you know, when I was getting graduate degrees, like my master's degree, I painted houses. I loved what I was doing. It gave me the opportunity to not be locked in a certain hours because I would bid the job, just show up when it was convenient for me around my teaching and studies at the university. So it was a wonderful vehicle where I wanted to go. I love seeing how you paint something and immediately makes a dramatic change. So there was that kind of reward there. Was that my dream job? Heavens no. I don't want to be a painter, but it was a reasonable vehicle to get me to a larger goal, which is another way to approach meaning in your work. It may not be your dream job, but if it's a reasonable vehicle and you have a, a goal in sight, then it can really still be seen as the most valuable thing you can be doing right now. When people see it as this is the end, this is as good as it ever gets, that's when they can get bored even if it's a high-level position. But I've had a lot of things that I've done that were not ideal jobs, ideal work, ideal business at all. But they were reasonable vehicles that period of time in my life to keep me moving toward the things that ultimately I wanted. Well, and there, that feels like the culmination is, do we know for all of us listening, do we know what we want? Do we know what floats our boat? You know, in essence, do we know where we find, you know, contribution? I found myself talking to uh, I think it was Eliza, my daughter Eliza, too, about what is that thing out there that bothers you, that you want to, commute to uh, communicate to people? Um, all my kids are really high on sustainability, you know, the earth and the environment and those types of things that, uh, gosh, I care about, but is that predominant for me? It's not. It's not. Your, my brother, your son was over in Africa helping, you know, dealing with sex slavery and, and stuff. Well, how can you say you don't care about that? Of course I do. But is that my vocation? Is that my vocational pursuit? It's, it's not. I, I don't feel called uh, to that, but to know what that thing is. So do you, I assume you find yourself with, you know, with all your coaching clients that here's somebody, here's what they have, here's their skills, abilities, talents, giftings, all that. Here's the options. So maybe they have five areas of interest. I'm just picking a number, five areas of interest. I, I did this with myself. I remember doing it year, many years ago. That, gosh, I've got a bunch of areas of interest. What do I want to work at, though? And there were a bunch of those areas of, you mentioned hobbies earlier. And I realized, man, I enjoy sports. But at this point, I just enjoy it for me. I enjoy woodworking. 
but I just enjoy it for me. I don't want to do that. I don't feel a contribution to the culture. Not that it's not possible. I'm grateful for people who are out there devoting themselves to sports because they see what it does for kids and does for people. That's awesome. It just doesn't speak to me. That's not my, it doesn't do it for me. It doesn't where it's not where I find a contribution, but it, it calls us to look at the opportunities in our life and then see where can we connect a contribution and be okay with an area that we see it's nothing against it, but I admit, I just don't and be okay. Also with, I do over here. That's the beauty though of diversity. Yeah. That's the beauty of individualization. That's the beauty of, we all have so many choices we all have so many options to then identify what does give us me. And it's going to be different from one person to the next. This is not a cookie cutter kind of program. That's why I love working with people where we are not going to, and I, I used to cringe at giving some of these assessments to people because it'd come back with suggested careers. I hate that because it's going to take people things right out of the dictionary of occupational titles. How are you going to find a Scott Stearman in there? who's a yeah. sculptor, not going to happen. Yeah. You don't get that. You don't get that kind of individuality. You don't get a Dave Munson who's taking leather and making these beautiful bags that he sells for big bucks to guys who drive Ferrari. You don't get those kind of unique applications. You get standardized cookie cutter choices. And that's where people sometimes cut themselves short because they don't look inward enough to find that unique thing that really would give them a sense of not only enjoyment, fulfillment, meaning, but also money pleasure, purpose, all those things. It's there for everybody. You know, you mentioned the industrial revolution and it dehumanized things, but let's come back to today that it does feel like there are so many choices that it's very hard to make a case for not finding something that you find joy, fulfillment, uh, contribution in. Now I say that into the person who's listening out there right now, who's busting their butt in survival mode to provide for themselves or their family. That's uh, awesome. And, and so much honor to you. And there's been times in my life where I should have done that, I think for a time, but that would be it for a time that if, if you're doing that thing three months, six months, three years from now, man, are you shortchanging yourself? And it, it does feel hard to make, again, a case to not find a fitting thing because we do have such a ridiculous amount of choices. I had an email from a gentleman this morning, sent it in as a podcast question. He said, I'm in a job that is slowly killing my soul. Mm. That's his word. He said, but I have an opportunity to leave the 23rd of this month and they'll give me a $23,000 severance package. I mean, a $20,000, living a twenty-third, a $20,000 severance package. My advice, take the money and run. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that ought to give you enough of a window of opportunity to figure something out. Do not think you're being responsible by going to a job that's killing your soul. Now, again, you talk about people doing work out there that, you know, they're just doing it because they feel like they need to be responsible. Yes, absolutely. But if that is their, their reason, for, then that is a purpose. That's a legitimate purpose. You got five kids at home. You got a job that pays you $120,000 a year. It may be the best thing to stay there. But to change your mindset about what you're doing and recognizing the purpose is keep food on the table. You're providing opportunities for those kids. And at this season of your life, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. 
Well, this is uh, always a discussion. An open-ended discussion like this brings far more than what I could craft if I had a specific intent. Man, thank you. Uh, it's just a, 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 always a joy to talk through these, but it's just eye-opening. Uh, more, it gives me more conviction as well for finding and being clear on the contribution I am bringing to the table in my work. Such a gift. Awesome. Thank well, you. I, as you know, I love the opportunity. I kind of um, got pushed into this whole topic, as you know. It wasn't something that I de designed that I had thought would ever lead into income generation. I was just teaching a Sunday school class, but the needs were so great. And we had so many people coming there who were saying, you know, I'm doing okay. People see me as successful, but I don't think this is it. And it was that deeper sense of meaning and purpose that people were looking for, even though they may have an MD or a DDS or a JD after their name. No, they're saying, you know, there's something more that really my heart is calling me to. And so with these kind of questions that I've had the privilege of dealing with, and ultimately because of that, then led to my own income generation. It kind of snuck up on me in a way that I never anticipated. I didn't sit down and map this out as a business, but as it developed and I just moved into it more and more and more, the opportunities came and it's always, always been, even when I was doing it just as a volunteer, extremely fulfilling for me to help people walk through this process. Find the work you love and the money will follow, eh? Sounds like yep. Dan Miller right there. Hey, I've got a, I've got pulled up here. I'm just reading an old book, The Prophet, but written by Cahil Gibran back in 1923. So it's old, old kind of philosophical stuff. There's one piece in there that I've always loved. It's just a couple sentences. And it says, work is love made visible. And if you cannot work with love, but only with distaste, it is better that you should leave your work and sit at the gate of the temple and take alms of those who work for joy. For if you bake bread with indifference, you bake a bitter bread that feeds but half man's hunger. Uh. That's, that's beautiful. I, I, I don't have the, uh, have it memorized, but I'm reading right now, Frederick Beekner, my favorite philosopher, and he has uh -huh. very similar statements about work, the effort that we make and that so many people would be better off. And he actually uses to be homeless and, and to not, uh, not stress with it. Well, Hey dad, thank you. Thanks for passing it down to me. I am grateful. All right. I enjoyed the conversation, Kevin. Well, I truly hope this helped you get a more healthy and palatable perspective on your work. Again, you can find Dan Miller's podcast, 48 Days, wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up in episode 908, Tom Ziegler and I talked through a list he sent out for the recent 4th of July, and it was a list of things that he said you have the power to declare your freedom from. Here's the list, six things, bad habits, negative self-talk, limiting beliefs, poor diet and exercise, wrong priorities, and settling for second best. Well, Tom and I talked through really the realities and challenges of claiming those freedoms. They sound great, but to do them is some hard work. It's difficult, but also incredible opportunity and promise for us. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.